0: Welcome to the successful athletes podcast presented by trainer road, where we interview successful athletes to make you a faster cyclist. Or in this case, we're going to talk a lot about triathlon because we have a special guest with us here, John Tarrant from the UK. How are you doing, John?
1: I'm great. Thanks Jonathan. How are you doing?
0: Doing well, man. I appreciate you setting apart the time to, to chat about this This is going to be a fun episode where we go into a transition from running to triathlon, which Actually is pretty common. I know a lot of us cyclists listening to this have probably transitioned from cycling to triathlon or vice versa at some point, but the running into triathlon transition is actually pretty common. So we're going to dig into that, your training, how things change for you, tons of different stuff. Uh, and I bet we're going to get a lot of actual takeaways for all of us, whether we're triathletes or not on this one. So, yeah. uh, a couple things really quick. If you want to be on this podcast, go to train com slash podcast, and let me know how you've used trainer road to accomplish any level of success whether that's, uh, an improvement in FTP, whether that's a race, win, whether that's something, you know, whatever it is, uh, if you feel that like you've been successful because of your usage of train road, let me know once again, trainerroadcom slash podcast, and you can go and find a link to the successful athletes podcast and submit there. So we'd love to have you do that. Uh, John, uh, first thing, I actually want to start out with running because that's where you started prior to try, but what made you become a runner?
1: Okay. Um, yeah, so. Good start to it. So a lot of background. My dad's a runner and a pretty decent runner, like 230 marathon, 15-minute 5K, like quick, quick runner. Wow, yeah. Um, And then, uh, obviously, in the family, from before him, my granddad was an ultra-distance runner and actually held the world record for 40 and 100 miles on the track.
0: Wow, <laughs>
1: how it, cool. Yeah, so it's in my family, yeah. Um, was, Yeah, my granddad, he was actually... um. He was banned from competing in professionals in amateur sport because he um when he was 17, 18, he got into boxing and he actually took a little bit of money for a fight that he did. And so this was back in the 50s, 60s. And then when he entered his first ever running race, um he declared on his like amateur form when you had to back then, you had to say that you were like an amateur and you'd never been paid for the sport. Um, he declared that he'd actually been paid for this boxing match and then they banned him and wow. the next couple of years he got better and better to a point where he was up to like Olympic standard, like ready to like try and compete to qualify for the Olympics and they still wouldn't reinstate him as an amateur. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I think that's in, in the family.
0: <laughs> we need to write a book about your dad. What a cool, what a cool story. My dad,
1: yeah. Someone actually did write a book about my, or, granddad. Forgive
0: me your grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my
1: granddad. Yeah. Um, Did somebody did write a book about it. Yeah. Someone wrote a book. Yes. Um, so it's same as me, same name, John Tarrant. Um, and they called him the ghost runner because he used to turn up to official races and, uh, just like hide at the start line. He wasn't allowed to officially compete. And then when the race started, he'd like jump in. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I think he, yeah, he won, won some quite big marathons and yeah, stepped up to ultra marathon because they're a bit more accepting because they weren't normally officially ratified races. And yeah, eventually unofficially broke the 40 mile world record. And eventually was reinstated and officially broke the hundred mile world record on the track.
0: Wow. On the track. So he's on just track. running
1: loops. Up, oh, yeah, it's like oh. 400 laps.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. That is, that's incredible. Uh, I had, no, yeah. we had, we'd spoken prior to this and I had no clue of the depth there of the story. Yeah.
1: yeah I thought after we spoke last time about, about that starting to running in that it was a big impact, like obviously when I was younger. My dad's always out training and having that kind of in the family, like it, it kind of, it, it pushes you because you you're living with somebody who does that kind of thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it just, yeah, you get that motivation. To
0: so you grew up watching impossible. your dad train and, and go through that process for running
1: Yeah, and triathlon as I was getting a bit older, I think he went through similar thing to me, like getting injured, running and moving across to something a bit less wearing. Into that.
0: So can you remember, I mean, when did you start running? Was that just something that you always did since it was kind of part of the family, or do you remember a moment when you were like, I want to be a runner or train to be a runner?
1: So it was always something that I've done at school. Um, I think we've got a similar system to you in America. Like you've got high school athletics and cross country that through both times of the year. So I was always involved in that, never really too seriously. Um, I was always happy to be running and then I'd say probably 15 or 16, I started taking it a bit more seriously. I um, started training a little bit harder. Um, I, nothing like I've been doing with training road, like no kind of structure, just maybe going out for one of my friends, taking it a bit more seriously. Mm. Um, doing a few races and then eventually joined a running club when I was like 17, 18. Um, yeah, just took it from there. I never got to any kind of high standard. It was more good good club level. Um I'd normally be on say like the first page of results from a race, but yeah, never, never challenging for the win.
0: What was like uh, what sort of distances did you focus on when you were running?
1: Um, so then at the like teenagers, so normally five K 10 K, um, maybe some, a little bit shorter on the track, 1500 meters. Um, but then I, when I started working full time. Uh, I probably took a couple of years where I didn't really do much exercise. Um, just kind of slipped to the slip to the backgr- background background. Mm. Um, know, other things take over. And then when I started back again, I started moving up the distance. So it's half marathon and 10 K more likely mm. races.
0: Uh, do you, do you remember your five K 10 K and half PRS at that point in your career?
1: Yeah. So, um, back then I'd probably be faster. Um, three K would be nine. Forty-ish, three k, five um, k, about eighteen minutes or so. So it's not not groundbreaking, but yeah, it's always fairly fairly steady runner.
0: Somebody's listening to this and they're like, "That would be groundbreaking for me." You know, <laughs> eighteen minute five k is, is is fast. Um, now. What made you, you mentioned that you graduated from school working full time, and then you started running again and you've already mentioned it here a bit, but you started to experience injuries. Is that what, uh, first of all, what injuries were you experiencing? And do you know what caused them?
1: Okay. So I went through a long cycle of repeated physio for it band problems. Mm. Um, I've never really got to a proper diagnosis of what was causing it. I think probably just a combination of muscle weakness, mobility. Um, It was always down uh, in both legs. So it wasn't just like I was running awkwardly. Um, I have found that now mobility work, especially around my quadriceps, if I roll frequently and do hamstring mobility, it helps a lot. So I'd say it's, yeah, just that kind of imbalance that I had before that was never really one thing causing it, maybe just a combination. Of everything and probably pushing too hard, I'll try and build up really quickly, I'd yeah, get injured and then come back and get a bit carried away after a couple of weeks and get injured again and I think it's a pretty common cycle
0: yeah, for all of us when you were experiencing these injuries, were they the sort that were just you know a sort of injury that was there and present and painful to experience, or was it keeping you away from training and away from running in general, and if so, for how long?
1: Yeah. So I think the thing was, so the IT band kept me from training in training consistently. So it led to a lot of missed weeks. And then that, like I said, eventually led me to trying to build up a little bit too quickly. And I ended up twice with bad stress fractures. So I had on one side, on the right side, fibular stress fracture. Um, and it was bad enough that I had to go for a scan on it and you could actually see where the stress fracture was. And they said on the fibula, that's unusual. So it, it was bad stress fracture um and that happened twice uh in successive years so this was probably 2013 Mm. so at that point i was thinking about doing something different training wise um and moving away from running a bit
0: yeah
1: Um, i think we get into it but yeah then i got married and i started a family and everything kind of got pushed to the pushed to the back
0: yeah uh, more recently Yeah. One other thing on your injury that I want to touch on really quick. Um, when you mentioned that you got these stress fractures, which is really like, you know, that that's pushing, I would assume you were pushing through a lot, were you making a conscious decision to push through pain or was the pain just slowly creeping up? And then that's what you had. Cause the reason I asked this, there are probably a lot of athletes sitting here saying, well, I experience pain at some point when I'm on the bike, running, s- swimming, mm-hmm. something like that. And the question is, how much do I push through? So like, is it okay yeah. to like, you know, high performance always, you know, is uncomfortable, but were you pushing way past signs of pain or what do you think yeah. was the main cause to get to the point of having stress fractures from this?
1: Yeah, every, every time. So I'd say both times I had the stress fracture. If I sat down maybe a week or so before I would have been able to know it was coming, but mm. I think it was just to that point where I'd had so much disjoint in my training and I'd have maybe a race planned in a couple of weeks. I just wanted to go out and get the miles done and yeah, just kept pushing through. Mm,
0: yeah. It's a, it's a hard thing for us to like swallow pride really and say like, I need to take time and just address this. Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that is one thing that is really beneficial with triathlon because if you've got something that's hurting, if you've got a shoulder injury that stops you swimming, get on your bike, if you've got a calf pull or something that's stopping you running, then you can get on your bike or go swimming. There's always something else to do that keep that fitness going. When you're focusing just on running, it's really difficult to go and do something else because you think you are losing fitness for what you're actually training for.
0: Yeah. So prior to the transition to triathlon, let's talk about your life situation. What do you do for work and what is your family situation like?
1: Um, so I'm a business analyst. Um, so I work in it for, um, a big pharmaceutical company, uh, we do distribution and supply chain operations. Um, so pretty normal job. I work nine to five, um, with some flexibility outside those hours. Um, I'm married and I've got two young kids who are two and four. So yeah, I'm pretty busy at home.
0: Yeah. Those are tough. Those are (laughs) high maintenance ages. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that when you got married, uh, and, and that you ended up actually getting a house and that house required a ton of renovations and everything else. So at that point yeah. you kind of let go of running, right. And then you you just became, as we would say here in the United States, Tim, the tool man, Taylor, so to speak, but you, you kind of focused yeah. in on just doing the home improvement stuff.
1: Yeah, that was it. I was yeah, committed. My time was completely taken up elsewhere. Um, we we're really lucky. My wife's dad's a builder. So he helped us do a lot of the work on the house, but, um, I was committed to obviously like helping you out. So. Um, I was laboring every weekend through the week, just doing like all the jobs I needed doing, uh, digging mm. foundations, getting bricks set out and yeah. So like pretty physical work. So I think even if I was trying to train at that time, I probably wouldn't have been able to, it was yeah. a lot of work. Was I don't know how part... people do it. If they've got a physical <laughs> job, I don't know how they do it. If they, people doing a laboring job or any kind of physical job and then training in the evening, like, is, that's intense. <laughs>
0: I'm repeatedly impressed by those sort of athletes that are able to yeah. do that. Yeah. Very impressive. Was that hard at all to let go of the running side of things? I mean, you're experiencing injury and everything else, but on these Saturdays, when you kept finding yourself out there, whether it was laying brick or doing something to fix up this house that you, that you mentioned you bought it, knowing that it was gonna need all of this, yeah. did you ever find yourself being frustrated because you were doing that instead of being out running or was it easy to let go of it because of the injuries?
1: So I think I'd been frustrated leading up to that point, so I'd kind of moved away from focusing just on running. So that side of it was easy, but one of the things that I really did miss was that mental break. Um, I, I don't think there's ever. I think it's one thing that I always keep thinking to myself: there's never been a single training session where I've started feeling bad and felt worse after. It's always a benefit. It always makes you feel better to like be doing something, either running bike, swim, going to the gym for a little bit. Um, And I think at that time, obviously there's a lot of life stress going on, like renovating a house, two young kids. um, We're living with our in-laws as well. And so obviously you've got a busy house, a lot of people going on, and it would have been probably beneficial to be able to have that like mental break. And I think now, knowing what I've been through for the last year, And knowing how beneficial that's been, I probably would have made a bit more time to do that. Mm. Um, but yeah, obviously just all the commitments at the time. It dictates sometimes, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Sometimes you just don't have the choice, right? Now that's a thing, whether you are a a parent or whether you just have a really demanding job or whatever it may be, you know, father, mother, or none of the above as well. I find that there's a, a point in all of our lives where we actually we end up dedicating so much of ourselves to everything else that we tend to forget about ourselves and socially, we also kind of honor that we honor the person that just kind of sacrifices all things, especially themselves at all costs to be able to satisfy some sort of greater purpose. But, uh, that I I assume that, you know, you got to the point where you were going through and doing all these house renovations and you used to have this outlet, this personal outlet, did you ever feel like this, this urge or I, I guess that When did the urge start to come up to be like, I need to do something for myself instead of just, you know, carrying on like this?
1: Yeah. So I'd say the, the main change was when most of the housework was finished and we moved back into the house. Um, my wife had just gone back to work after maternity, after our daughter was born and she works evening shifts. Um, so she was out of the house Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday evenings. And I was just at home by myself with the kids. Obviously the kids go to bed at say half six, seven o'clock and I had the whole evening and yeah, it was, it was just really quiet and unusual to not have anything to do. So I started looking for things that I could do at home. Um, I bought a turbo trainer and just looked around to try and find some way of training that way and obviously found trainer road. Nice. at that
0: point. That's like a, and, and that's where you started to kind of introduce that something for yourself sort of a thing. And. I feel like, you know, perhaps not in this case, but it's worth mentioning. Sometimes that can come with some guilt too. Like, cause you feel like, Absolutely. like, well, why am I setting aside time for myself? I should be giving it to my, my kids, giving it to my job, giving it to whatever else, you know, did, did you, did you struggle with that at all?
1: Um, so the way that I've planned my training, I try and do everything on my own time, so it's. When I'm not leaving anything else extra for my wife to do in the evening, so I'm not coming home from work and going straight out for a ride when she's obviously been with the kids all day. Um, so most of my training I do after the kids have gone to bed. Um, sometimes at the weekend, but I think you say it on the podcast quite often where you get your son asking you to like come and play Lego, and you're like, no, I've got to get my training done. And it happens all the time, like especially that weekend ride. The kids are up having breakfast, and I'm like I'm going out for a little bit. Mm. And yeah, yeah, it's, it can be tough. Um, but I think knowing that when I come back, I'm going to be a lot more relaxed and look forward to the day more with them. And I think, yeah, the, the benefits of that outweigh that little bit of guilt. Yeah. But yeah, it's sure. definitely there.
0: It's there and we, we shouldn't feel bad about feeling that probably, you know, that exists and we just have to <clears throat> accept it and recognize it. And then, yeah, like you said. See if it's doing us benefit, and if it is, then then we push forward with it. So, uh, getting into the the transition to triathlon. So, other than you know finding the turbo trainer because it, and and trainer road and everything because it was convenient to do it at home. Did you ever have any desire to do triathlon before that time? And all of your years of running, you mentioned your dad did triathlon too. So yeah. did that influenced you, and were you looking forward to triathlon?
1: Yeah. yeah, definitely. So I'd I'd always had it in my mind. To do that um i'd grown up swimming i was not again similar to running like i was reasonable at swimming never amazing but it could do like swimming galas and stuff at school and i always carried on training i watched the lifeguard for a little bit so i was always around that kind of environment cool um so yeah i'd always had it in my mind um I'd, i'll say one thing that did really put me off triathlon before was the cost it's an expensive sport it's not just race entries equipment traveling yeah it's expensive to do um and yeah, I think it can be, uh, quite a barrier to a lot of people.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like a, you know, it's, it's tripled the cost in many cases. Running yeah. is, is so relatively cheap and, and even, you know, swimming in some cases can be cheap, but of course going to facilities and everything else can, can cost some money. Yeah. So you mentioned that, that like, I guess with, with you had sweat, you'd done some swimming when you were a kid. You also had gotten to the point where, you know, you were obviously a good runner, everything else, but what was your experience on the bike other than casual bike riding? Have you ever, had you ever done any sort of training or racing with that?
1: No, no training at all. Um, the most I've done, I'd maybe do occasional spin class at the gym. Um, I'd had a period where I was injured from running where I'd done a few weeks of what bike training. So again, just a what bike at the gym. And I think I followed one of their 10 mile TT training plans for a few weeks, um, that was actually probably just before coming in to train a road. Mm. So yeah. So uh, middle of last year, maybe July, August. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was pretty much it. So yeah, four weeks of training. And then I used to ride my bike to the train station when I was going to work a couple of days a week when the sun was out, that was it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So we're, we're setting the groundwork now getting into triathlon. And one of the questions I want to ask, which is usually the big one that a lot of, uh, especially adults have is were you worried about fitting in all the training into your schedule? Because it's just with the three sports, it's so tough. So how did you end up interspersing your training through your schedule?
1: Um, yeah. So like I said, with my wife working night shifts, I tried to plan all my bike workouts those evenings. So I basically had four days in a row where I'd try and do everything at home and then everything else kind of got fit around that. So the only time that I took in. Morning was two swims to try and get out early Mondays and Fridays. And then, because so basically, like obviously, I spoke about coming in from running injuries, I was really cautious building up any kind of mileage with my running. Um, actually, at the start of last year, I saw an interview with a British sprint surgeon, you know, Odina Asher Smith.
0: I don't know I don't if know. I
1: know. Um, and yes, yeah, basically, she was talking about her goal setting for the year. And she said that her biggest goal every year is to get through without an injury, which makes perfect sense for a professional. You don't get injured, you have consistency, you get faster. And that was the biggest goal when I started looking at doing triathlon was don't get injured. So it was all, yeah, my running was always going to be planned to be low volume, couple of days a week, build it up really slowly. Um, so I didn't commit a massive amount of time. I know a lot of people talk about 10 hour, 12 hour weeks for triathlon, but mine was probably a lot more limited. What
0: were you doing differently this time, other than increasing the volume at a more gradual rate, which is probably one of the most important things to do, but were you doing anything else to avoid injury that you didn't do before?
1: Yeah, I was doing a lot of mobility work. Um, so yeah, mobility, stretching, foam rolling. Um, one thing that I found really beneficial to it was just a general, just like have a feel over my legs and just find any pressure points and just work them out every night. Um, I think that helped really well, it was something really simple to do. I think you spoke about Ke- uh, Kelly uh-huh. I name Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So followed some of the tutorials that he puts on YouTube and that helped a lot.
0: Yeah. He's it's called the ready state on Instagram and YouTube and everything else. And he's such yeah. a good follow for athletes. All of us listening to yeah. this should check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think it's his book that I read the supple leopard becoming supple leopard, is that right? Correct. Yeah. So that was the starting point for that.
0: Yeah, that's a great book. That one in desk mound is another one that he's written. That's, that's just great. And it really, like when you mentioned mobility, it's tough because I'm sure somebody listening to this is like, well, I want the one exercise. And the way that Kelly approaches this in many cases is he approaches it from like, okay, well, like, what do you actually need to do? in terms to be like successful and have sustainable, you know, uh, training ability on your bike. And as a result, there's like a whole different, there's a whole list of things you should consider. So check out those books. They're, they're really good resources on yeah. that. Uh, what, what discipline concerned you the most? Was it ironically, even though you had been a runner, were you most concerned about the run because of your injury history?
1: Um, yeah, from that, from that perspective, um, but from the pure volume, was, it was definitely good. it was going to be the bike because mm. you're thinking so my target race was a 70.3 so you think it's going to be half an hour 40 minute swim um, half marathon which I've already done but then that concept I'm going to want a bike for maybe three hours and then I'm going to run after it that's that's big it's, it's a lot to think about it's a lot to get your mind around especially like I said before like the biggest rides I've done was five miles to the train station and back when I was mm. commuting so yeah that big big step up to 50 odd miles.
0: So it's probably a good point to start talking about the plans you followed. Forgive me. And, and so how you basically bridged that gap from the five mile ride to the train station to getting prepped for a 70.3, what plans did you follow? What was the structure that you went through with?
1: Um, so I started with a slightly adjusted mid volume. Um, so yeah, mid volume, mid distance triathlon, Mm -hmm. um, and like I said before I took one of the runs out and most weeks I removed the brick session. Um, I thought it was obviously it's an important way to train, to get that feeling of running straight off the bike. So I did do a few, but I just thought that idea of coming off the bike, tired, running with tired muscles might've just been a little bit too much to encourage an injury coming back. Mm. So yeah, I took those two runs out of the normal plan. Um, I think I kept them on the calendar, but. So I had them there as like placeholders, but yeah, just took them, took them out each week.
0: Did you find anything that was like a recurring challenge for you in the training process? Cause that's, you know, cyclists can find that for sure. And then when you're talking about multi-sport, then, you know, there's a whole different set of challenges that come with that. What was the hardest part about following the plan? Things that set you back or discouraged you or frustrated you?
1: Um, a lot of, time so getting to the swimming pool that was quite difficult um because it's obviously the one that you're most time constrained to you have to go to somebody else's timetable and um it's not something i could obviously do at home so it had to be out of the house so someone else looking after the kids mm. um so yeah fitting that in and i did end up doing that so pre-covid pre-lockdown the that was at the pool uh, at 6 30s in the morning on mondays and fridays to try and fit that in. So it's obviously an early start before work. Um, and then because Thursday nights I'll be training after the kids have gone to bed. So it was a late finish Thursday night. So an early start Friday morning. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit tough.
0: How would you fuel those early morning swims? Like, cause that, that's, a, that's, that can be a tough thing, especially when you're talking about swimming, eating right before you get into the water.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't, I'd have a coffee in the morning and then, uh, just a drink on the way and then just have everything ready for afterwards, have a protein shake and a banana something like that afterwards, just to eat on the way to, on the way to work in the car and yeah. then a normal breakfast when I go to work.
0: Awesome. Cool. Uh, th- Cause the nutrition side is very unique, right? Like for a runner, yeah. I have a friend who's a runner and he's always like, I don't get how you cyclists eat so much, you know? And, yeah. and so it's, it's a very different world. Was that difficult at all? Getting used to the nutritional demands of doing all of that work?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned in the last year is Not so much fueling as you're exercising, which, like you said, that's quite a unique concept for someone who runs. I'd go out and do an hour and a half run before and wouldn't even think about taking a gel or a Mm. sports drink. I'd maybe take a bottle of water, but most of the time it would just be, I'll get home and eat. Um, But yeah, definitely beforehand. I think when I first started with the um, structured training, you don't really know how your body reacts to certain things. So I might do, say, a VO2 session And I'd only done one or two of those before. So I didn't know that me feeling absolutely wiped out halfway through was not normal. Mm -hmm. And it did take a while to realize that, okay, I've not really had the right kind of food earlier in the day. So let's address that. And then I started feeling better. I think if I look back at my plan, there's quite a few workouts that I've ended maybe like 75% through at the start. And I think a big portion of that was just making, making sure it was because I hadn't made sure that I'd fueled properly earlier in the day. Mm.
0: Yeah, it was, what about your improvement? Let's, I guess, go with the swim first. I don't know if you had any way of measuring your improvement with, with your swimming, but how much faster did you get and what were the main things that really helped you get faster?
1: And um, so when I first started the actual, the first session that I did when I went to the pool very mind I hadn't swam anything more than taking the kids swimming and maybe doing a couple of lengths with them, um, maybe like three years before I got back in the pool. So I did a 1900 meter time trial straight away. And, uh, that was 38, I've got it written down here, 38 minutes, 48 seconds.
0: Awesome. So, so that was your that was starting start. point. How did you, what was the main thing to improve your performance or what were the technique improvements or anything else? What did you find was the most beneficial to getting faster in the water?
1: Um, so I think from the technique side, because so obviously I'd worked at a swimming pool before, um, I had had some kind of training when I was younger. So I did kind of had that, have that feel for the water that I think a lot of people starting in swimming don't have, mm-hmm. and that did come back fairly quickly. I saw pretty quick improvements in that time in a short amount of period. And I think that was purely just getting that feel for the water back fairly quickly. Um, I followed pretty much all the trainer road plan for swimming. So it was basically just getting the volume in. Um, drills, anything to do with rotation. I think my old swimming coach used to say, you never rotate as much as you're thinking. So any of the rotation drills, like getting onto your side, I think it's the, like 6 beat kick. Twisted on your side 12bit kick on your side and then bringing that down mm. uh, just to try and get that feeling like you I think you call it like shoulder blades back together where you're like pointing down the pool and just trying to get yourself on the side that's mm-hmm. yeah that's been a big big help and I think you can get lost in drill swimming. But I think that one actually feels the most relevant to an actual swimming stroke and you actually feel it as you're swimming as well that, that rotation you can actually feel it. Mm. That's the drill.
0: What sort of, uh, improvement did you see by the end of your training? Uh, how much faster were you with that 1900 meter time trial?
1: Um, so unfortunately when I got to the race, the swim was actually shortened because of the weather temp, because the weather, uh, the water temperature was pretty cold. Um, but about five weeks before I'd done a 1900 meter open water swim. And that was just outside 30 minutes. So 30, 20.
0: Wow. And that's open water versus in the
1: pool. Yeah. Open water as well. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's Um, impressive.
1: Yeah. I haven't actually done a pool. Interesting to see. I'd say probably about 30 minutes maybe in the pool.
0: Yeah. That, uh, with COVID, I'm sure that you had to adjust with that. where did you end up doing your swimming?
1: Yeah. So I had obviously in UK, we had about 10 week, 12 week lockdown. So everything was closed. So I didn't swim at all. Um, I got some resistance bands, which I didn't really find that useful. (laughs) So I don't know, used them a couple of times. Um, And then after lockdown, I uh, found a lake just up the road from me. And uh, yeah, just like a swimming lake, they've got a loop that's about 400 metres. So I did quite a few open water sessions, which I think actually really helped. It's something that I'll definitely do again. Um, Just getting that confidence of being in the water, having a wetsuit on, Sighting.
0: Yeah. It's a lot so, tougher. Yeah. It's when you don't definitely have that black line to follow.
1: <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now let's go to the bike. Uh, what was your starting point? You mentioned that you had done that, the, some spinning it the, there at, on the watt bike doing that, that yeah. plan that they had built in at the gym, but where was your starting FTP and then we can go from there.
1: <clears throat> yep. So, um, my first. FTP test was on the 9th of September last year and came out at 209, 209
0: watts. And then how much do you weigh for a point of reference?
1: Um, 72 kilograms.
0: 72 kilograms, perfect. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> with that, what sort of, what did you find difficult about the bike training in particular? It's, it is really different in the sense that it can be like constant resistance compared to the running, which is more, you know, those, those yeah. constant, you know, the contractions that you're making when you're hitting the ground. Was that tough at all to get used to like the more steady state efforts?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. So I've just actually started back doing similar training to the also I've started back on my base training now and the sessions that I'm doing now. They seem so much easier than when I first started, even though I'm obviously at the right level now, I think it's just that muscular endurance that, mm-hmm. um, I think when you start base, a lot of the instructions from Chad, you're spinning it, maybe like ninety five, one hundred RPM constantly, and then like building up and down. And I felt like really tough at the, really tough at the start.
0: Yeah. That higher cadence is tough to, to hold yeah. at all beginning. And uh, what sort of improvement did you see on the bike?
1: Um, so. I went through five weeks of base to start off with, and then Plan Builder was released. So I reassessed everything, and that started me again on another uh, base phase. So from September with the first FTP test, I did five weeks of base and then a full base and full build. And that took me to 279.
0: Wow. That's
1: In, impressive. So that's four months, no, five months.
0: 70 training. watts. Way to go. Yeah, that was good. Was big <laughs> improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just the, the amount of food you have to take in just to compensate for that because you're almost yeah, increasing definitely. your power by a third almost, you know, with that, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's definitely. impressive stuff. Uh, what was, uh, on the bike, what sort of equipment did you have? What did you get in the beginning? And then what did you end up racing with?
1: Um, so I've got a pretty basic entry-level bike, um, it only costs about 300 pound. Um awesome. so it's uh, from a store called Decathlon. So it is yep. aimed at have you got decathlon there here? Yeah. Uh, um, we, we don't yeah, have pretty, it
0: here, but they're they're effectively if you're here in the United States, it's similar to like an REI but more I guess general sports focused, kind of like a big five, yeah. something like that. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's it. Um yes, yeah, so it's uh it's nothing to be happy about. I love it. It's, <laughs> my, it's my bike. <laughs> I've done a lot of work on it, so Things like a pair of running shoes sometimes when you've done a lot of miles done, to throw them away, but yeah, yeah I love that bike.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't ever get rid of it. Right. It's no. The, <laughs> no, it's the first one. Did you run any sort of arrow bars or anything else like that on it? Yeah, I did.
1: Yeah. Just basic clip on, uh, J bend bars.
0: And did you spend time training in that position or how did you start to incorporate that?
1: Yeah. So after that FTP testing March, March, i would seen, so after going through base and build And then we had lockdown. So I did a reassessment and restarted the plans because the race that I was originally targeting was May. Mm. So after we had lockdown, that race was canceled. Um, So I did a replan then. And when I started the base training, then everything from that point was tested in aero position. So before that was sitting up, Um, it dropped down about 10 Watts between upright to the aero position. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, those 10 watts came back with it about 10 weeks of training. How cool. Where we tested again. So back up to about 280.
0: That's an interesting point. Since you had just started with cycling, you you didn't have that huge gap in between in aero position and then upright out of aero position since you were relatively new to it. Um, granted, it is always tougher to put out power in that position, but you can get used to it. Uh, what about the run? That's like another, a big curio- curiosity for me, having done so much run training beforehand and experienced these injuries and everything else, you mentioned that you did more mobility work and everything else, but did you notice yourself getting faster with a run as well throughout this training process?
1: Yeah, definitely. So it's actually something that I was really surprised about. So I hadn't had any like expectations. That I was going to be getting quicker. Um, I was just hoping to either maintain just be comfortable running and just to get through the half marathon. Um, But we had, during lockdown, we had a local league series of virtual races and I hit PBs in distances from 5K to half, uh, no, so 5K, 5 mile and 10K within a six-week period. So not not massive times off, but yeah, I dropped about 20 seconds off my 5K PB, uh, about 40 seconds off my 10K PB. So, and that's in a virtual race as well, just running against the clock, I guess maybe some error for GPS, but even to be at that, that level.
0: That's impressive. I was very happy with doing the other two sports. You were still setting PRS. So yeah.
1: And PRS that I'd set probably six years previous. I think we should have two categorizations: like a PB before you have kids and a PB for after. <laughs> yeah,
0: like. Pre, yeah, like PC <laughs> and AC. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah pre children and after. And driving. categories
1: and races as well.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. How many
1: kids have you got? Two. Yeah, you go in that group. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a great. Games. That's a great point. It's just yeah, it's pretty demanding. Oh, uh, it's it's extremely demanding. It's really tough for sure. Um, So okay, so with all of that, uh, you mentioned that your race was canceled and then you just went through plan builder and you replanned everything and you reset it out. But how'd you deal with the discouragement there? Or were you so just kind of focused on the process since this was more something for yourself that you just were fine with it? Was it a discouraging moment for you?
1: Yeah. Um, I think because I've been through pretty consistent training for the first time in a while. Yeah, it was disappointing for the race to be canceled, but it was canceled long enough before that I wasn't right on top of it. So we had a couple of months notice. Um I took I had about ten days off before I restarted training. Um, but that was more just sorting out life events. Like obviously the kids' play school was closed and just managing all that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah that was a bit tough.
0: It's been a wild nine months, 10 months for a lot of parents <laughs> out there trying to, <laughs> trying to be teachers and trying to do everything else that they need to do. Yeah. It's pretty tough. Uh, so let's talk about race day. Uh, what were the conditions yeah. like actually before that, how did you set your goals up for race day? Cause this is your first, I, I assume this was your first triathlon period, right? It was yeah,
1: first one ever.
0: Yeah. So how did you it. set your, how'd you set your goals for that? Cause that's a hard spot to know where you should perform beforehand.
1: Um, so I think it's one thing that I said to you before, really luckily about two weeks before the race, I listened to one of Amber, Amber's first podcast when she first came on and she was talking about goal setting. And one of the things that she said that the most important thing to do is don't set a goal that's dependent on someone else. And previous to that, I'd had my expectations like try and be like top 20 in my age group, try and be in the top like hundred overall, um, which is obviously, It's completely dependent on someone else having a good or bad race. You can't dictate that. Um, So I sat down a couple of weeks before and I wrote out four things that I thought would just help me get through the day. Um, The first one was just enjoy it. And I actually had that point, enjoy the race. It's your first triathlon. Um, That came back. When I get to the weather conditions, I'll tell you about, I'll come back to that one because it's it's important. (laughs) Sure. Um, And then on the bike, I had... um, Target average, 222 watts. So that would be 80% FTP. Um, another really good point, stick to my nutrition plan. I'd like worked everything out, all the calories, grams of carbs, um, had everything in my drink, all the gels and everything sorted. So just stick to that, keep going to the timer. Um, and then for the run was try and maintain an even, plate, even pace. Don't set out too fast. And I had a target pace of 415 per kilometer to set out at.
0: Awesome. So that's smart to set goals that you can control uh, on the nutrition side of things. What were you taking in for fuel? Uh, was it uh, liquid or was it solids gels?
1: Yes, yeah, so I had most of it was from liquid on the bike. So I had one gel directly prior to the swim. Um, and then on the bike I had 200 grams of, um, so multidextrin and, uh, fructose mix. I just made it myself, something that I've been like practicing, using it within training. Smart. Um, yes, that was 200 grams. And then I had two gels on the bike and three gels for the run.
0: Do you know roughly how many grams of carbs per hour you ended up hitting? Um,
1: yeah, so I have found so through my training, I found that I could hit higher on the bike and mostly with liquid, I felt best on the bike. If I drank too close to getting off the bike and running, then it upset my stomach a bit more. So. The first two hours on the bike, I had the whole 200 grams of the carb drink. Um, and then the two gels in the last about 45 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. So that was about, so 92 grams of carbs per hour. Mm -hmm.
0: So dropped it down a bit there toward the end, since you were going on the run. That's it. And then on the run, what did you end up? Did you take anything in on the run or how did you manage that?
1: Yeah. So I actually, I had three gels ready to grab as I went through transition, but as I came through, they weren't there. I don't know if someone else had <laughs> picked them up or, <laughs> they went or something. um, so yeah, I grabbed gels as I run by the aid station. It wasn't something I'd had before, but I thought it was more important to try and get the, get the food in then to try and go without, um. Yeah. So that worked out okay. Um, yeah, so three gels. So it was three lap course. So i got one as I went out and then two more on each of the laps as I came back around. Awesome. So that'd be what i say, 90, 90, grams over the row, over the run.
0: Impressive. Uh, what about the conditions? Let's talk about that. Uh, being in the UK, it's always a bit of a, it's always a bit of a gamble.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. So I said before the swim was cut short because of the temperature. Um, so it's pretty cold. Um, the wind was, I think, 25 miles an hour and gusts up to 35. Um, and the water temperature was 12 degrees Celsius. Wow. Um, so yeah, they shortened the race, they shortened the swim from 1900 to 750. Um, but it was off a pontoon. So you still had a dive straight into to the cold water. not great. Oh
0: gosh. Yeah. And then was it, uh, was it freezing on the bike at first too, after getting, I mean, I assume it was a wetsuit swim, yeah. but still you're wet and yeah. that must've been really cold.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's what I said when I, my first goal was enjoy the experience. It's your first triathlon. <laughs> um, someone told me the water temperature before we went for the swim. So I'd put extra kit out for the bike. So I had a base layer to put on. Um, I had gloves, I had arm warmers and I put my socks on. Mm-hmm. So my first transition was pretty slow, but I I took the, took the hit rather than be cold on the bike. Yeah. It, it, Especially with it being windy as well.
0: I was just going to say with the wind and arrow position, how did you handle that? Cause it's, man, it's, it's for anybody that hasn't been in arrow position, dealing with really strong and unpredictable winds like that. That's it's terrifying.
1: Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it <was> terrible. <laughs> um, so did
0: you stay in position or how'd you do that?
1: No, no not at all. Um, so I'd say, so it's an anti-clockwise loop and I'd say everything from the start. So say you start at six o'clock on the clock and everything up to maybe about one o'clock going around the loop was probably cross head crosswind. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I pretty much stayed on the normal bars the whole time. I wasn't on the air bars at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't feel comfortable. It's yeah, something i Put in my notes to try and work on but I think with the bulk of my trainer being on the trainer most of my rides I'd go outside if the weather was nice mm-hmm. and it looked like a nice day to be outside so I just hadn't been in those kind of conditions and yeah being on the aerobars, I thought it was better to just get through safe and not risk that yeah. I think it was making me like pretty tense as well so I thought now pretty early on I thought no, I'm just going to take it take it more cautiously try and hit my power target and worry about that
0: how did you get At your nutrition in like d- with the crazy wind? Cause that's another hard thing. A lot of athletes, because you're so focused on, on controlling the bike, you forget to eat.
1: Um, so I had a uh, bottle between the bars with a straw. Um, so that was quite easy. So both hands on the, on the handlebars. And then because I didn't have the two gels until I was coming back, it was more of a tailwind, so it was a bit easier on the way back. You didn't have so much crosswind. Um, so by the time I was doing that, I was yeah a bit more comfortable.
0: Got it. Got it. Uh well let's talk about the run or actually with the with the pacing plan. Your goal was to hold eighty percent FTP. How'd you do with yeah.
1: that? I was one what under. So wow. target was two twenty two and hit two twenty one. So yeah, I was pretty, pretty, pretty pleased.
0: Great job. That's impressive. Yeah. Uh was that difficult at all to hold that for the duration of that event, or did you feel like you were prepped for it with your training that you did?
1: Yeah, I'd say that was probably the biggest surprise of the day I got coming up to the end and i felt so strong like i felt like i could have i probably underpaced it um maybe yeah could have gone a little bit a little bit harder maybe but yeah i wanted to come off the bike feeling ready for the run and yeah definitely definitely felt that
0: i feel like if you've if you get off the bike and you feel like man i completely worked myself there i went all out that's a yeah. bad place to be in
1: <laughs> yeah. going into the run yeah what about yeah, your was, run pace? yeah happy with that um yeah, so again, yeah, I got off the bike feeling feeling really comfortable and um, three lap race, I'd said to stick to four fifteen K pace. Um I was just outside that, so four seventeen, but I ran yeah one one thirty twenty on the run. Nice. Um which was I think I said to you before just a couple minutes outside my just half marathon PB.
0: Which is crazy, because you're in the context of doing it on in a triathlon, on on race day in inclement weather bad conditions, everything else. And you were still, so did you beat your half marathon uh, PB or were you oh, just, just really close?
1: Just outside. Yeah. So, uh, half marathon flat would be one twenty-seven twenty-seven. So I was about what's just under three minutes slower.
0: Wow. That's super impressive.
1: That uh, yeah, good. It's big. I think that was, yeah, the biggest win for the day. I think happy with that.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, and, and to have all the injuries and everything else that you would have with running leading up to that. Did you find that after the triathlon, did, did you experience, you know, were the, did the injuries come back from race day or anything?
1: No, no, it was fine. I'd say pretty much most way through the training because I was only doing a limited amount of running. Um, just being sensible with the way that I built up. I hadn't actually had anything this year. I'd had one hamstring pull, but that was bad footing. I caught a rock and pulled, so I don't think it was anything to do with technique or it wasn't definitely wasn't overuse. It was just a bit of an accident. Um, and yeah, that was the only thing that I had through the, through the whole year, so yeah, really happy with that as well.
0: Well done, John. That's awesome. Uh, um, it's pretty cool to see like taking on a triathlon first thing like that and training through dealing with the setbacks, uh, tons of, tons of learnings from this episode. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you with this is if somebody's listening to this and like, you know, they're lurking, looking for key points of information or help, uh, what are the, if you were to give anybody else advice. What are the main things that you learned that help you along your, your journey to getting faster?
1: Um, so definitely for. RPE in the training is make sure you've got a good meal, the right meal coming into it. So especially for the bike, I've found that it's not as important for the run, but that might just be, cause I'm not probably hitting the same intensity. Mm. Um, I found having a decent carb, carb central meal, maybe like two and a half, three hours before really helps. Um, workup, nutrition on the bike. So I'd say anything above sweet spot. I've always got a carb bottle and I think I built that up from about 60, 70 grams per hour going up to about 110, which is kind of the limit that I started to feel a bit more uncomfortable at. Hmm. Um, and that made a massive difference. And then recovery shake or food straight after I've started doing that after every single session. And I think that's been a big, big benefit.
0: Yeah, it goes a long way. I mean, yeah. the fueling aspect, we we've talked about this plenty of times, but we tend to, for some reason, pride ourselves on doing things without fuel and depriving ourselves, yeah. but, uh, we should do the opposite. We should, we should really be focusing on making sure we're nourished properly for it. So yeah. this is awesome. John, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch yeah. with you, what's the best way? Is it through the trainer road forum or in any other way?
1: Yeah, be on the, on the train road forum, um, I try not to use Twitter or Facebook too much. Be a little bit of an addiction. Yes, yeah. Um check it out. I'm um, on Strava as well. Put Strava up.
0: Awesome. We'll link to your Strava and then we'll also have yeah. a post in the Trainer Road forum for this episode. You'll be able to find it just by by looking up his name in the forum, you'll be able to find that episode. So if you have any questions for John, jump over there. If you want to get faster, like John, of course, head over to TrainerRoad.com. And check out Plan Builder. You can build your plan beforehand, long before you even sign up to even see what it would look like. Uh, so you can get an idea of what your training would be for whatever event or goal you have. Awesome stuff to do and share it with your friends. Share this podcast with your friends and rate it. We'd really appreciate it. And of course, if you want to be on the podcast, head to trainroad.com slash podcast and let me know. We'd love to have you on here. So, John, thanks a bunch. And we'll talk to everybody next time. Great. Thanks very much, John. Sure. Thanks, John.